0: Hello, everybody, and welcome into the Bible Reading Podcast, episode number 352. Today's big Bible questions are, what will eventually become of Israel, and what does the throne room of God look like? Well, hello, friends. Happy Lord's Day to you. Our church gathering today is all online due to a 90% chance of rain today for our area and the fact that we in Cali are not allowed to assemble inside yet, only outside, So, join us live uh, and online at our Facebook page. Uh, It's VBC Salinas. You can find a link to it at BibleReadingPodcast.com. Or you can just jump on Facebook and search for the letters V, then B, then C, Salinas. And we start at 11 a.m. We're going to be talking about Fearing Not... Because behold, we have a saver. Not, didn't say savior, a saver. Well, shout outs and welcomes to new listeners from Victoria, Australia, Dublin, Ireland, Styria, Austria, Brussels, Belgium, Karnataka, India, Atlanta, Georgia, Terre Haute, Indiana, Spokane, Washington, and others. Thank you for joining us and thank you for listening. Great comment today from Where What Ha on our YouTube page. He says, based on our episode a couple of days ago, when we were reading the letters of Revelation, he says, The phrase, fight against them with the sword of my mouth, which is from Jesus' letter to the church at Pergamum in Revelation chapter 2, jumped out at me. Since Jesus is rebuking a church with poor doctrine, it seems to me that this is a reference to apologetics. That is, fighting against them with the sword of the Word of God, see hebrews four twelve for example, in ephesians six seventeen the sword is seen in Revelation chapters one and two in Jesus's mouth to represent that the Word of God comes from what he says. His words are the heart penetrating truth and the soul cleaving gospel. If we are to imitate the works of Jesus and to do his will in his name on this earth, then it seems that we must be willing to rationally wrestle with those who hold false doctrines or poor logic. Now, as I told my wife earlier tonight when I read this comment to her, that is an insight into the text that I hadn't thought of before. I think it's spot on. Well done, my friend. Our focus tonight is on the future of Israel. But first, let's have a quickish look at God's throne room. As I've mentioned before, over 350 episodes of this show so far, I believe the episode where we talked about what the Bible says God looks like is one of my favorites, if not the very favorite. It's episode number 69. You can uh, come to BibleReadingPodcast.com and click on today's episode and get a link to that episode or just search What Does God Look Like at our uh, search bar on BibleReadingPodcast.com. Tonight, we're not going to focus so much on the appearance of God, because that was a long episode and a long article, but on the appearance of his throne room. So when we're thinking about, like, where is God now? Where is his presence? I mean, he's everywhere, of course. He's omnipresent, omnipotent, but in a sense that maybe I can't fully understand for sure, he is also... Very centrally located, very often apparently in his throne room. So let's read Revelation 4 and see if we can get that scene in our mind. Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. After this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne. Around the, th- around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. "'Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures, covered with eyes in front and in back, were around the throne on each side. "'The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature was like an ox, "'the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle.' Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Amen and amen. So my first impression of the throne room of God, is that it would be just absolutely and utterly overwhelming to be there. First and foremost, you know, obviously you're going to be in the presence of God, and I suspect we would respond to that in the same way that Isaiah did in Isaiah 6, where he says, woe to me, I am undone, if we could even respond that much. That said, I think it would be very, very, very loud crashes of lightning and thunder, plus nonstop singing of praises to the Lord from the elders and the living creatures. Not only that, but one would also likely be overwhelmed by all the flashing lights, the emerald rainbow, and the shining sea of crystal glass. Further, if we were there, we would see those living creatures close to the throne and serving God. And based on John's description, they sound strange perhaps overwhelmingly and terrifyingly strange. I don't know. And then there are the 24 elders that are casting their crowns down before the throne. What a scene John must have seen. It sounds so uh, busy, full of life, dynamic, constant sound, movement, light, and motion around the living God. And I think... That's what the throne room has to look like. It sounds to me like John did an excellent job, having never been there. It just sounds to me like he did an excellent job of describing it for us. I can almost picture parts of it in my mind, and I'm sure my picture in my mind is uh, nothing compared to the reality. Let's move on to our focus passage, which is, surprisingly enough, in the Minor Prophet of Haggai, chapter 2. Over the past few weeks in our Chronicles passages and before that in the books of 1st and 2nd Kings, you might have remembered that we've read of the construction of the Lord's temple by Solomon. Now, if you paid really good attention to the numbers there, you will know that the temple was amazing, that literally tons and tons of gold and silver and other jewels and precious metals, like scads of it, an incredible amount was used in its construction and it was really maybe one of the most impressive buildings ever constructed by human beings. As you recall from our readings in Second Chronicles just a few days ago, that temple was looted very soon after the death of Solomon because Solomon's children were not faithful to the Lord. By the time of the book of Haggai, roughly 400 years after the reign of Solomon, the people have gone through exile and the temple is basically in ruins. God calls his people to rebuild and as they are doing so, it's like they kind of look around like oh man the realization hits those of them them who had seen the glory of the previous temple now keep in mind none of them had been alive in the time of Solomon, which had been hundreds of years before, so they hadn't even seen the real glory of the temple. But the ones who had seen the prior temple were apparently looking at this one and like, oh my gosh, this is not going to be as good. It's not going to be as amazing as the one that was destroyed and in, in ruins. And even God himself says that this temple is like nothing compared to the prior temple. And then, so the Judahites aren't discouraged God encourages them and tells them that he's with them in this rebuilding mission that it's important, even though the temple won't end up as impressive as the one prior. And then God makes this incredible promise about the future of his people in Judah, and I believe Israel too. And so let's go ahead and read Haggai, and we'll kind of hone in on that promise. Haggai chapter 2, verse 1. On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai, Speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, so that to the high priest Joshua, son of Jehozadak, and to the remnant of the people. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't it seem to you like nothing by comparison? Even so, be strong, Zerubbabel. This is the Lord's declaration. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak. High priest, be strong, all you people of the land. This is the Lord's declaration. Work. For I am with you, the declaration of the Lord of armies. This is the promise I made to you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit is among you present. Don't be afraid. For the Lord of armies says this, Once more in a little while I am going to shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of All the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of Armies. The silver and gold belong to me. This is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. The final glory of this house will be greater than the first, says the Lord of Armies. I will provide peace in this place. This is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. On the 24th day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai. This is what the Lord of Armies says. Ask the priest for a ruling. If a man is carrying consecrated meat in the fold of his garment and it touches bread, stew, wine, oil, or any other food, does it become holy? The priest answered, no. Then Haggai asked, if someone defiled by contact with a corpse touches any of these things, does it become defiled? And the priest answered, it does become defiled. Then Haggai replied, so is this people and so is this nation before me. This is the Lord's declaration. And so is every work of their hands. Even what they offer there is defiled. Now from this day on, think carefully. Before one stone was placed on another in the Lord's temple, what state were you in? When someone came to a grain heap of twenty measures, it only amounted to ten. When one came to the wine press to dip fifty measures from the vat, it only amounted to twenty. I struck you, all the work of your hands, with blight, mildew, and hail, and... You didn't return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. From this day on, think carefully. From the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day of the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, think carefully. Is there still seed left in the granary? The vine, the fig, the pomegranate, and the olive tree have not yet produced. But from this day on, I will bless you. The word of the Lord came to Haggai a second time on the 24th day of the month. Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah. I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overturn royal thrones and destroy the power of the Gentile kingdoms. I will overturn chariots and their riders. Horses and their riders will fall, each by his brother's sword. On that day, this is the declaration of the Lord of Armies. I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, this is the Lord's declaration, and make you like my signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is the declaration of the lords of armies. So the promise, where in verse 7, God says, I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. The silver and gold belong to me. That's very interesting. I don't believe that promise has been fulfilled. Filled yet, at least not in its fullness. But I am confident, even though it is a 2,500-ish year-old promise, that it will be fulfilled in the future. Now, you may think that's a crazy long time, but do remember God's timing system and our timing understanding are very, very different. Also, keep in mind that the promises of God about the coming of Jesus you know, the prophecies like he would be a wonderful counselor, mighty God, and prophecies like, behold, a virgin will conceive and bring forth a son. These prophecies about the coming of Jesus were over 700 years earlier than his r- arrival. When you consider that the founding of the United States as long ago in our minds as that was, it wasn't even 250 years ago, then you realize exactly how long 700 years really is. God will fulfill his promises. We just might have to be very, very patient. But do see the fullness of this promise. Even though Israel is small now and has been the site of many, many conflicts, God's promises that great wealth will come to his people one day to remake the temple of God in great glory and there will be peace in this land. We see these kind of prophecies about the future return of God's people to himself and his blessing all throughout the Old Testament, even into the New Testament. And to understand this more, I would point you to Isaiah 60 for an expansion of the prophecies concerning the future glory of Zion and compare it to Revelation 21 and 22, and then compare both of what's written in those places to what's written here in Haggai. I have great hope that exactly as God said that the future glory of the house and temple of God in and around Jerusalem is going to be far greater than the previous glory, as great as that was. The Lord let it be, and may we see it in our lifetimes. We will continue with Second Chronicles 14, verse 1. Abijah rested with his ancestors and was buried in the city of David. His son Asa became king in his place. During his reign, the land experienced peace for 10 years. Asa did what was good and right in the sight of the Lord his God. He removed the pagan altars in the high places. He shattered their sacred pillars and chopped down their Asherah poles. He told the people of Judah to seek the Lord God of their ancestors and to carry out the instruction and his commands. He also removed the high places and the shrines from all the cities of Judah and the kingdom experienced peace under him. Because the land experienced peace, Asa built fortified cities in Judah No one made war with him in those days because the Lord gave him rest. So he said to the people of Judah, let's build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, with doors and bars. The land is still ours because we sought the Lord our God. We sought him and he gave us rest on every side. So they built and succeeded. Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah bearing large shields and spears and 280,000 from Benjamin bearing regular shields and drawing the bow. All these were valiant warriors. Then Zerah the Cushite came against them with an army of one million men and three hundred chariots. They came as far as Mereshah, so Asa marched out against him and lined up in battle formation in Zephathah Valley at Mereshah. Then Asa cried out to the Lord his God, Lord, there is no one besides you to help the mighty and those without strength. Help us, Lord our God, for we depend on you, and in your name we have come against this large army. Lord, you are our God. Do not let a mere mortal hinder you. So the Lord routed the Cushites before Asa and before Judah, and the Cushites fled. Then Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar. The Cushites fell until they had no survivors, for they were crushed before the Lord and his army. So the people of Judah carried off a great supply of loot. Then they attacked all the cities around Gerar, because the terror of the Lord was on them. They also plundered all the cities, since there was a great deal of plunder in them. They also attacked the tents of the herdsmen and captured many sheep and camels. Then they returned to Jerusalem. Now this next chapter has a lot of good stuff in it. Revival under Asa. Chapter 15, verse 1. The Spirit of God came on Azariah, son of Oded. So he went out to meet Asa and said to him, Asa and all Judah and Benjamin, hear me. The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you abandon him, he will abandon you. For many years, Israel had been without the true God, without a teaching priest and without instruction. But when they turned to the Lord God of Israel in their distress and sought him, he was found by them. In those times there was no peace for those who went about their daily activities because the residents of the lands had many conflicts. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every possible distress. But as for you, be strong, don't give up, for your work has a reward. When Asa heard these words in the prophecy of Azariah, son of Oded the prophet, He took courage and removed the abhorrent idols from the whole land of Judah and Benjamin and from the cities he had captured in the hill country of Ephraim. He renovated the altar of the Lord that was in front of the portico of the Lord's temple. Then he gathered all of Judah and Benjamin, as well as those from the tribes of Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon who were residing among them. For they had defected to him from Israel in great numbers when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. They... "...were gathered in Jerusalem in the third month of the fifteenth year of Asa's reign. At that time they sacrificed to the Lord seven hundred cattle and seven thousand sheep and goats from all the plunder they had brought. Then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their ancestors with all their heart and with all their soul. Whoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel would be put to death, young or old, man or woman." They took an oath to the Lord in a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets and with ram's horns. All Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn it wholeheartedly. They had sought him with all sincerity, and he was found by them. So the Lord gave them rest on every side. King Asa also removed Makkah, his grandmother, from being queen mother, because she had made an obscene image of Asherah. Asa chopped down her obscene image, then crushed it and burned it in the Kidron Valley. The high places were not taken away from Israel. Nevertheless, Asa was wholeheartedly devoted his entire life. He brought his father's consecrated gifts and his own consecrated gifts into God's temple. Silver, gold, and utensils. There was no war until the 35th year of Asa's reign. Praise God. John chapter 3 verse 1. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it's going, so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? Asked Nicodemus. Are you a teacher of Israel and don't know these things? Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, we speak what we know, and we testify what to what we have seen. But you do not accept our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. For God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only Son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Anyone who believes in him is not condemned, but anyone who does not believe in is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. This is the judgment." The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. But anyone who lives by the truth comes to the light so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went to the Judean countryside where he spent time with them and baptized. John also was baptizing in Anian near Selim because there was plenty of water there. People were coming and being baptized since John had not yet been thrown into prison. Then a dispute arose between John's disciples and a Jew about purification. So they came to John and told him, "'Rabbi, the one you testified about and who is with you across the Jordan is baptizing and everyone is going to him.' John responded, "'No one can receive anything unless it has been given to him from heaven.' You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Messiah, but I've been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the groom, but the groom's friend who stands by and listens for him rejoices greatly at the groom's voice. So this joy of mine is complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. The one who comes from heaven from above is above all. The one who is from the earth is earthly and speaks in earthly terms. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, and yet no one accepts his testimony. The one who has accepted his testimony has affirmed that God is true. For the one whom God sent speaks God's word, since he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. The one who believes in the Son has eternal life, but the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. The Lord, we need your mercy. And this country and all countries in the world right now stands in great need of your grace. Rescue us, draw us towards you, be the lifter of our head and let your light shine through us, especially on this Lord's day. Let us proclaim your truth with passion and power. Friends, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Good day and Godspeed.